everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of On That Note with Parker Whirling. Today's guest joins me from Pomona, California. I actually met him and his band when I went to go see one of his shows with Christopher Carrillo from Kubrick's Island. Him and his band have put out a new EP about a month ago called For Those in Misery. Please welcome Sin Passion. I have this Zoom account hooked up to my school page, so it has like my full ass legal name on it. I was like, whoa, who's, who's Jose? Uh, I don't know. It's my secret. You, you know, my, you know, my absolute secret, which is my legal name. Like, Harley Damn. I didn't, I think like Ciara and Aureli don't even know. Your yeah, well, they did for sure don't. I, it's, yeah. Oh, well, I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, spoiler alert, you find out at the end of the episode. Just yeah, to... <laughs> stay tuned to find out his real name at the end. Text his real name to this number and you'll get a prize. Meet and greet. So you released a new EP a month ago. Did you know it's going to be a month tomorrow, actually? No, I had no idea. Yeah, I checked right before I came in. So it's called For Those in Misery. And how did it feel to finally put it out? It was, it's, I think it felt great. Um, mainly because like, like the first song on the EP, um, Perhaps Better Things Will Follow, like that song is really old. Like it's one of the first songs I've ever written for Sin Passion, and um, we only we always just use it like as an intro for our uh, shows. You know, we just open up the shows with that song. Um, we never recorded it, and then when we were writing the CP, I was like, we should kind of throw it in there finally and record it. It's really old. So were the other two songs older as well, or did you write them kind of recently? Yeah, I mean, um, I'll be at your altar is also fairly old, probably like over a year old. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then perhaps other things will follow maybe like two years old. And then Ran Ferry song, um, the last one, uh, that one, that one was fairly new. We wrote it like while we were kind of the EP. So was there a reason why you wanted to put this EP out now with three songs that are from kind of completely different eras of your life? Um, because they're, that they were just who was next in line, I guess, like, I'd safe to say that like the stuff I'm writing right now, it probably won't come out for a year or two as well, you know? So it's kind of like, it, I feel like the order in which songs are coming out, it's like backlog. So it's coming out very post the era, you know? And I've read about it a lot, actually, how music, that's like a very common thing. That by the time the music comes out, the artist themselves isn't even an embodiment of that work anymore because they're just somewhere else already. Yeah, I was going to ask you if that feels weird to put out a pretty vulnerable piece of yourself like a year after you actually felt that thing. I, I think it's great. I mean, it, I think it does wonders for me because I get to be reflective. And it's like I wrote I'll Be At Your Altar um, at a very difficult part of my life, just emotionally and like who I was. And I just felt like I didn't have much to offer, you know, not only my friends, but my romantic partners, my family, I just felt like I wasn't in a place to offer much. Um, and I don't feel like that anymore. You know, it's been such a long time and I feel like I've progressed so much as a person that, you know, that song isn't really how I feel anymore, but it's a perfect like snapshot of how I felt at that specific moment. Like I remember writing that song. It's kind of like a time capsule from back in the day when you're like oh yeah I guess I really did feel that way because maybe now you've moved on and you've learned your things from it but when you revisit it it can kind of take you back to like why you were feeling those emotions in the first place 
exactly yeah i mean it allows me to just think through it you know and be like wow like i've really come a long way and i like that you know to be able to see my growth as a person but since i'm documenting it and writing songs about it it's easy to see like wow i'm not there anymore. i wanted to ask you about um i'll be at your altar that's probably my favorite song on that ep and i just love this one part the switch up like the beat switch up like two-thirds of the way through uh-huh. and it got me wondering how you guys write these songs like especially as a band do you jam them out or do you write them yourself and bring them to the other guys yeah well i construct skeleton that's like my main role in the band i would say it's like i come up with the skeleton to the song and the chord progressions and the lyrics and then i present it to the band and then dylan takes over in structuring the dynamics of it in terms of you know what a drummer does where he brings the beat up and brings it down and breaks it apart so you know he takes over and does that aspect of it and then ran ferry like especially in this song is a very noticeable trait that he has because ran ferry came into playing bass for the band as like only ever being a guitar player before so i feel like a lot of times he plays the bass kind of like you would play a guitar um so in that part that you're talking about that i think you're talking about the, the way that he plays the bass line, it kind of changes the vibe of the whole song. When it's, the bass does it alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess maybe it is the bass. It's not the drums, or maybe it's a little bit of both. So but... it's, a, it's a little bit of everything, because the whole song pulls back, but it gives it presents a whole new rhythmic pattern that yeah. kind of like it pushes you back when you're already like in the forefront of the song. But the bass line, I would say, is like the real the part. Because I remember like when we started playing that in practice, it was like, whoa. It really took that song to to that point. Yeah, there's something gratifying about it. It's like you, it's like rewarding you for staying in it this long. It's like here's an <laughs> extra little an extra little thing to take home with you. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I also went down the rabbit hole and I loved your your cassette Nightfall cassette song. Wow. I thought that was really cool, and I've never recorded on a cassette before. What was that like? I I, I think it's magical because you know we grew up in such a digital age that i feel like we forget how people started creating music and the cassette itself was you know it got it was a shrunken version of what they were doing in big studios you know with the big tape reels so they wanted to create a version that it was something that they could just give individuals and they could print on tape the way you would at a big studio way more affordable and you know portable and stuff um, so for me, I think it's been great because it just it gives a texture to the music that you can't get if you just plug into a sound card and just, you know, start recording your stuff. There's a certain texture that's just natural that you can't replicate. Like, I'm not really doing anything other than running it through the cassette machine, you know, and the cassette machine gives it this warmth and this texture that's just like nostalgic and, you know, kind of takes the record and gives it a whole new embodiment that you can't get if it was just digital. So is there anything going through the guitars? Is there any effects? Because it sounds so shimmery when I'm listening to it. Um, so should I reveal my mind? You don't have to. You don't I'm a have to. reveals its trick, their tricks, but I no, kind of, I, I, but I also would love to explain how I did it. Cause it was like a, it was a very interesting process. It was processed a lot. It went from, I recorded it on my iPhone, the guitar alone. And like I recorded it on my iPhone. Then I plugged my iPhone into a cassette player and I uh, printed the guitar onto cassette. Then I took that recording out of the cassette back into Ableton, and then I laid the vocals over it. Then I ran the vocals through the cassette player, 
And then once I had the file completely done, I ran it again the final time through the cassette player and then extracted that file and then turned that into the final version. Dude, that's a lot. That's so sick. Yeah, it's really, I think it's great. Like it was the, the processing is the funnest part. Um, and when I recorded that, uh, I was really just recording. I wish I had, I just threw it away because I broke it. The cassette um, recorder I used to record that. It was a very basic one. And as of recently, I bought a more advanced tape recorder. I was about to say, I saw you playing with one the other day. Yeah, I bought a new tape recorder from the 90s. And it's like, it has taken the possibilities, you know, because like to a whole new level, because now I can plug my guitar straight into the tape player. Oh, okay. Plug the drum machine straight into the mixer and run it through tape, record it on tape, record it on four channels. So have you released any music with that yet or you're working on it? No, I'm working on it. I mean, I, I uploaded a video, I think yesterday or the day before of me using it. Yeah, I saw that. So piecing everything together, like, um, I want to start like a, a small label, but not a label in which like I sign artists and like their music belongs to me, but I want to collaborate with artists and, um, distribute their music on cassette and kind of just take whatever demos artists are working on and turn them into you know files that can be distributed because i feel like as creatives we constrain ourselves with always wanting to deliver a final project rep like it took so much work alter had to be reported twice it was like this you know so it took so long before i could actually give that product to the audience or to people that want to listen to music but with this route that i want to take now is like i want to create very interesting lo-fi demos you know so that you get the song when it was just recorded last week you know or like you get you get to be more involved with the actual process instead of like oh this song is two years old you know you kind of you hear the demo and then in two years or a year you'll hear the final and be like dang i remember when the demo dropped on cassette you know that's cool to make it it's almost like a like a subscription thing where you're getting these songs like hot off the press you know and yeah. it is cool to get a demo version of all of these songs because a lot of fans can really relate to the artist a little bit more on that extra level a lot more intimate yeah with the stuff i've been recording like it's filled with error it you know it's not great it has a lot of stuff that usually you wouldn't want to show people but that's the point of a demo the demo is supposed to be and like I, i've always loved having demos i just never really share them but I want to start to do that just because like seeing how long the process takes and having to go into the studio and like, you know, this, I can just, I'm, I'm do I can do it back. So it's like my roots, like making it in my room with just, I don't have I can tune out the world and not have to talk to no engineer. I just sit here and I do it. And I don't have to answer to anybody. Have you had this idea for a while or did it just come up? Um, it just came up. Um, I was having a conversation with our engineer during the EP. I mean, like maybe like April, for March and he was talking about how like the whole COVID stuff is affecting music studios a lot in LA that a lot of them are closing down because there's it's nearly impossible to make rent if you don't have anyone coming in to record so I had this like revelation that lo-fi music was going to become prominent in the scene again um, because it's going to force people to create from their home mm -hmm. so the, it's like you know it's like the way the market moves so if more people are releasing lo-fi music, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it's fine. You have like this really, you know, perfect sounding record that you recorded at a studio and dropped a lot of money on, but 
what the kids are going to be consuming is going to be the stuff that people are going to just be creating in their bedrooms and have this have this like authentic intimate texture again i think we're already seeing that with just the internet like people like from across the world can make songs in their bedrooms and suddenly it blows up on tiktok or something and now everyone's listening to it and i i wanted to ask you about the label stuff before you even brought it up because I was wondering what you would think about it in this world, especially post COVID where like everyone is in their homes. And if you're a musician and you really want to play music nowadays, you're going to have to have the stuff in your house. And that's going to, I think it's going to force a lot more people to, um, to get creative with it. And there's going to be so much more music out there in general. Definitely. That's why right now my mission has been to like build this, what do I call it? I don't know, a studio. Because I've always had like a very good home studio, but ever since like I stopped making beats and started working with Sin Passion uh, and making, you know, like songs, it's all been studio based, you know. I don't have to worry about what I'm, I don't have to produce it. I go to a studio where the engineer has all the gear and we, you know, we get it done. But right now I'm, I'm re- recreating a studio. Like I literally just bought a drum machine, just brought a synthesizer. Nice, what kind? I bought a base station too. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then the drum machine is just some random drum machine I found on OfferUp. That was a good price. OfferUp's a great place for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I buy everything on OfferUp if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's a smart move. So do you have a studio space or is it going to be like your your house? Well, technically it's here. Right. This, this room... Um, and right now where you're set up is actually where the gear is. So okay. I have my laptop where all the gear is. So, and I just like ordered a new table too for more like flexibility, like a long table, you know, I've always wanted like a table where you can put all the gear and not, because I feel like I have to constantly switch because I'm working on such a small workspace. But yeah, it's just going to be here. And yeah, I have like, you know, ventures of like, I want to, you know, just open myself up to more things. Like I want to open up like a cassette distribution, like a, company i don't know like it's like if an artist is like hey i want to release some tapes like i want to be able to provide that service and just be like you know like i have the, the gear to not just make your tapes if you don't want to record straight on the tape or if you wanted to make something directly into the tape i want to be able to do that too i just feel like i'm reaching a point in my life where i'm branching out to more than just wanting to be like you know just like a songwriter or a frontman to a band like i want to be a lot more hands-on and uh, connect to the scene and and also it's like, I'm a really hard critic. So it's kind of like, I want to work with people that like, I, you know, personally feel a connection to their art. It's not like, you know, I take this too serious to just open it up to anyone who's just like using this as a hobby and just like taking like, oh, I just want to get more popular through this music stuff where it's like, this is like a lifestyle for a lot of us. And it's not just like a gimmick. Yeah. So you mentioned you wanted to get more involved in the scene. You're the second Rancho Cucamonga artist I've had on here. Do you feel like there is something specific about Rancho and the music scene there that makes you, that made you even think about this uh, cassette distribution thing and this label in the first place. Cause I went to one of your shows, actually a couple, I went to especially the house one where Christopher Carrillo played his first show and it felt so intimate. It felt like everyone got together and it was a community and they wanted to support each other. So did that have a, an impact on, your thought process for this yeah well i mean for starters like like i'm not really a rancho artist but like rancho like i'm from pomona okay okay but I'm, I'm currently like i live in uh glen avon 
like near Riverside right now. So, um, but Rancho has been like very important to Sin Fashion. We played our first show in Rancho. Um, we collaborated with LOC a lot with Juan from LOC and he kind of was like, he helped us throw our first show. He helped us organize like all of the first for Sin Fashion in terms of like playing the Fox Theater in the rooftop, like all that stuff. He was really crucial in um, helping us get, you know, involved in the scene. And it just so happened that like, you know, Rancho has a very good uh, alternative music scene. Uh, so it's like we've dabbled there, you know, we played Rowdies, we've done all of that. Shout out to Rowdies, man. It's a great place. <laughs> yeah. Rancho, Ran I honestly, I'm very grateful for Rancho and the scene and just the people from Rancho too. I mean, I've seen like Twitter always likes to like talk shit on everyone, but I feel like the, like the Rancho scene kids are like, they're, I, I think they're cool. Like the people who go to the shows, like the community itself is very, like, I just, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot from being involved in the scene and the people I've met. I've made, made some really cool friends just being in the scene in Rancho. Yeah, everyone I've met has been, you know, super nice, fantastic, and everybody's dedicated to everybody loves the scene, like the scene of Rancho, and they love all the bands and everyone comes to support. And shout out to Juan at LOC Productions for putting on those kinds of shows, those DIY home shows. I think those are so important for getting people out and uh, making those like ground connections with friends and, you know, making lifelong collaboration partners yeah i think maybe what rancho the rancho scene i guess does have something to do with kind of like me wanting to open myself up to this type of collaboration because i feel like i have met a lot of artists that like um i think are very talented and um would be interested in you know getting in a creative space with them and seeing where you know we can channel that creative energy and kind of take it to wherever that person wants to take it you know well, I'm going to take us to the last five here, and I'm just going to ask you five quick questions, and then we'll be out of here, man. Cool. All right. Question one. What's your favorite live show you've played? It's a two-way tie between like our one-year anniversary show on the rooftop of the Fox Theater, One Year of Sin. That show was pretty incredible. On the rooftop? Yeah. That's so cool. It was like over capacity. Like, it was before the rooftop, like, uh, before the Fox started like regulating capacity at the, at the rooftop. So we kind of overpacked it that night. And after that show, they put a, a very strict uh, rule on how many people could be up there. Cause like the fire marshal said the roof was caving or something. Damn. So we, I mean, in terms of just being realistic, like I, we had the biggest show at the rooftop because of that, <laughs> you know, like we were yeah. able to get out more than it should have been T that show tied with, um, one of the last shows we played before, uh, we couldn't play shows. We played at La Santa with um, I Dress, but that, that show was great. Playing that show was cool. New audience, great sound. We played a very good set. Those, those were good. Nice, man. Yeah, roof almost caving in sounds like a pretty good standard for a great show. Yeah. All right, man. Second question. Who's your dream artist to work with? Oh, wow. That's so hard. You can name a few if you want. Okay. I'm I'm really into pop music. So like I would love to work with the weekend. Ooh. I feel like having the weekend do like harmonies in the back of a song. Like I wouldn't even want a verse. I would just want him to be like like just subtle in the back and just like let him do his stuff with his melodies. Uh band wise, 
I'd like to, well, it's kind of, with bands, it's kind of hard to like, directly collaborate. Um, but I feel like working with like bands like, or touring with bands like Turnstile or like Show Me The Body, I feel like would be really cool for us. Um, just because both of those bands are different than us, but they embrace the diversity that lies within music. Um, and then obviously like one of those like uh, very far-fetched goals, you gotta have those, um, like to work with Rick Rubin. Like I would love, I would die. Like if, I mean, if Rick Rubin produced one of our albums, like I'd be, I'd be set. I mean, be really good. For real, that guy's a guru, like the ultimate music guru. Have you have you listened to any of his podcasts or the videos with all the artists and he talks to like Tyler and all them? Yeah, I have seen it. He's just a very insightful person. Mm-hmm. I, just, I would love to have that energy in the room when you're making music. Yeah, he's so positive. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> just very soothing, almost like Bob Ross. Yeah, yeah. Sick, man. Well, let's go to the third question here. What's your favorite piece of gear that you own? I mean, I'm being biased because it's my newest piece of gear, but it's my new cassette recorder mixer thing. Yeah, you've been messing with it a lot. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably the best thing to happen to me musically in a while. How much was it? Um, well, the market right now for them is actually kind of crazy. So they're looking for like 400 plus right now. Whew. Yeah, but like I got lucky and I got one from Japan um, on eBay. And it's in mint condition, which is very weird because it's from the 90s. So, like, I'm looking at it. When I got it, it was like, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the first one to ever use it. Well, um, since Japan makes them, I'm figuring that they just had some in a warehouse and then started selling them. That's interesting. Huh. I really want to get a cassette player, but I could never find one. Mm. Ooh, I just bought one on Amazon, a portable one. I'll send you the link. I have, you know, I'll, if it works good, I'll let you know if, it, if it's worth it. But Yeah, please. Like, give me a review. <laughs> I need one. All right, man. Fourth question. Who are some underrated artists to you? I used to say favorite underrated artist, but everyone usually is like, oh my God, that's a little bit too hard to pick. I just, I don't like saying that someone's underrated because I feel like it does a disservice to like their artistic worth. Like popularity doesn't equal worth, you know, like, so uh, it's kind of hard to think you know, to call someone like, oh, they're underrated. And it's like, yeah, I just think of it like underrated, meaning underexposed, like more, more people should know about them. That's hard. I feel like my mind's so scattered because I've been doing schoolwork all day and like, I can't, I feel like it's a very narcissistic thing to say. And I really want to say it unapologetically, but I feel like we're underrated. I feel like we have potential. It's because we, we put all this work, but we kind of lack uh, marketing and like, distribution so it's kind of hard for us to reach like the people who listen to our music have been listening to our music for a while it's been really hard especially now since uh covid and we can't play shows um to get our music to new ears there's more that we could do but we kind of have to seek management or something yeah the business side of things is totally hard honestly like we're so used to just working on you know the art and that's enough for us but then you have to like learn how to use social media the right way and what to do about how to promote your newest song the best way but you don't want to sound like a douche so you got to like figure out a way to do that i have a habit of just like posting once and then never saying anything about it ever again yeah <laughs> i was like yeah. i really mean, like it's it like either you listen to it or you don't i'm not gonna beg you to listen to it yeah fair enough all right man i'll send you out with the last question here in the studio or playing live? I mean, they each 
they each have their own individual magic. I mean, in the studio, there is something magical of like when you feel that creative energy in the room with you and you're just kind of expanding with it. Um, but then there's a different type of magic at shows where you're feeding off the energy of your audience, whether good or bad, you know, whether they're totally not feeling it and you just be strange or they're loving it and you just become this deity on stage, you know? So it's like each thing has its own magical. I wouldn't, I would never, like, if I had to pick between the two, I just wouldn't pick. I would just choose to not. They're, they're just, they're both so important I think, for different reasons. That's one of my favorite questions because that is truly a 50-50 for everyone I've asked. It's probably been 50-50 if I had to like go back and look at everyone who answered. And I, I love being in the studio because of that magic of creating something new that you haven't done before. And you're like, it's like the, um, the potential energy is crazy. You don't know what you're about to play. And at the shows, you're just purging emotion. You know, I showed up to shows feeling absolutely terrible. And then the moment I step on stage, it all comes out, you know, and it shows them the way I, I use, I play guitar really roughly. Like I tend to beat my guitar when I play it. Like people who have fixed my guitar have told me that I gotta learn to like not do that, but it's part of it. You know, it's like, I'm gonna play with a softer hand, but like my hand's not feeling like playing soft. So I just play harder and it's just like part of the purge that comes when you go play a show and you're releasing all these emotions that are built up that are not necessarily connected to the music. They're just your own personal, you know, existential moments that you might be going through. And you're sharing that with an audience who's enjoying it with you like right now in this moment. Well, Sin Passion, thank you for coming on and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Stoked for any new music. If you got any coming out, if you want to talk about that before we go. Um, We're dropping a, the EP on uh, seven inch vinyl soon. Nice. We have like a collaboration coming out with Buck 50 soon as well. In terms of music, no answers yet. What's, um, I mean, I don't really care. We'll anymore. see, we'll see. I, I mean, I started working on the album. It's just like, I don't know when that will be done. I just know that the album is like in the oven, like, you know, the, the big album, but I'm gonna tuck that to whenever I feel comfortable. I don't know right on. Well, I wanna get me one of those seven inches. <laughs> Yeah, I'll let you know. You'll see. They'll come out. And I'll kind of, coming out like in a few colors too. Which is oh, that's awesome, dude. That sounds great. All right, Sim Passion, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. Cool, man. Thanks for having me.